is Jesus? I'm sure you realize that this is the one question we must all answer and answer correctly. Who Christ is defines who we are as Christians. To consider him anything less than the Messiah, the Sovereign Lord, and our Savior is to dishonor him and call our own faith into question. Welcome to the Wisdom Journey. Stephen Davey is continuing his series through the Gospels with this lesson called, Who is Jesus to You? I have in my library a book entitled, The 100. It's a book where the author uh, seeks to rank the 100 most influential people in world history. Well, I I was glad to find that Jesus made it on the list. In fact, he was in the top 10, but he wasn't first. The top ranking went to the prophet Muhammad. Number two went to Isaac Newton. Number four, after Jesus, was Buddha. So in between Newton and and Buddha at number three was Jesus Christ. Never mind, by the way, that all the people listed, uh, his tomb's the only one that's empty. Well, let me tell you, wherever the world happens to rank Jesus around you today, it isn't really that important to your life. I wouldn't get hung up on that. What's critically important, though, is how you rank Jesus. Who is Jesus to you? Well, the disciples are going to be confronted with that question. But before we get there, our study takes us to Matthew chapter 15 and verse 39, where we're told that Jesus and his disciples now leave the Decapolis region. Uh, Jesus' miraculous power fed 4,000, mostly uh, Gentiles. They now travel northwest across the Sea of Galilee to the region of Megadon. Mark chapter 8 and verse 10 calls this place Dalmanutha. Dalmanutha was the harbor of Megadon. Now, as soon as they arrive, Mark tells us here in verse 11, Pharisees came and began to argue with them. Matthew's account tells us that they were accompanied by Sadducees. They've come to test him by demanding a sign from heaven. Uh, They want him to prove his authority is from, from God. Now, he's already performed signs from heaven. And so here he refuses their demand. See, Jesus knows their problem is not a lack of evidence. Their problem is a lack of faith. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 4 tells us that Jesus responds by telling them that the only sign they're going to get right now is the sign of Jonah. And that's that's an allusion to his coming resurrection on the third day. And let me tell you, beloved, you're not obligated to answer every cynical question uh, any unbeliever asks you out there, even if they're asking you for a little more evidence, especially when the person really doesn't want an answer. Now, Mark's gospel at chapter 8 And verse 13 tells us that Jesus and his disciples got into a boat and they sail away. In fact, verse 14 uh, notes that that they forgot to bring more bread along. And and he says here, they only have one loaf with them in the boat. Jesus then says to them in verse 15, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. 
Well, the disciples completely missed the point. As verse 16 says, they began discussing the fact that they had no bread. They thought Jesus was <laughs> rebuking them for forgetting to pack a cooler with some bread, maybe, maybe a little butter. Now, Matthew chapter 16 now and verse 11 records Jesus saying to them, How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Oh, well, then, verse 12 says, they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. In other words, his warning here is is to beware of any teaching that's contrary to God's word. False teaching, he's saying, is like leaven. It'll grow and it'll influence everything around you. Now, when they arrive at Bethsaida, a blind man is brought to Jesus, and, and Jesus puts saliva on the man's eyes, lays his hands on him, his sight is restored. But it's interesting to me that this particular miracle takes place in two stages. At first, his sight is blurry. Going back over to Mark chapter 8, we're told in verse 24 that he sees men, but they look like trees walking around. Then Jesus lays his hands on the man again, and he sees clearly. Now, frankly, we're not told why Jesus healed the blind man in two stages. Perhaps it was Jesus' way of teaching that we need to trust him when he moves in ways that are mysterious to us, when he, when he doesn't explain himself. Perhaps his physical healing of you is in stages. Maybe it's partial now. Well, it's going to be perfectly completed one day in heaven. Well, now with this, they're going to travel about 25 miles north to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And when they arrive, we're told here in verse 27, that Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? How are people out there ranking me? Well, evidently, people on the street out there have given Jesus a pretty high ranking. He didn't first, but he's right up there with John the baptizer and, and, and the prophet Elijah. So Jesus now changes the question into something much more personal here in verse 29. But who do you say that I am? Oh, let me tell you, beloved, that's the most important question anybody will ever answer. Who do you say Jesus is? A very educated man in his 70s who taught Sunday school in a church for decades told me some time ago that he thought Jesus was was, uh, just a good rabbi. In fact, he said, I refer to Jesus as Rabbi Jesus. Well, I told him what I'm now telling you. He didn't know who Jesus was. You know, what you believe about Jesus is going to determine your eternal destiny. What do you say? Who do you believe I am? Jesus asks his disciples. And, you know, Peter raises his hand. He's always raising his hand in class. And he says, I've got the answer. He says, you are the Christ, that is, the anointed one. That's a phrase for the Messiah, a, a term for the Messiah. Matthew's gospel, by the way, gives us Peter's full answer back in chapter 16 now. And verse 16, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
Oh, Peter knows that Jesus is much more than a rabbi. This is a declaration of the deity of Jesus Christ. You are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus responds here in verse 17, telling Peter that this truth was revealed to him by God the Father. And then in verse 18, he says, on this rock, I will build my church. The rock, by the way, isn't Peter. It's the bedrock of what Peter just declared. The church is built on the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, the Lord also says to Peter here in verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, the gospel that you and the other disciples are going to preach here, that gospel is the key to opening the kingdom of heaven. Well, after that announcement, Jesus begins to tell them now what's just ahead. Here in verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and be killed and on the third day be raised. Well, now Peter raises his hand again in class. He says here in verse 22, he took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Jesus sharply responds, verse 23, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. In other words, right now you're acting like Satan's agent and not mine. The New Living Translation renders this, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. Now think about this. Peter had answered with divine inspiration that Jesus is the anointed Messiah, the Son of God. And now, just six verses later, Peter is rebuking the Son of God. Now let me, let me say this. If it's possible for Peter to move so quickly from insight to idiocy, how easy is it for us to do the same thing? Part of Peter's problem is that he's forgotten who he's talking to. He, he starts talking to the Lord as if the Lord needs correcting, as if the Lord's one of his buddies, another disciple. We, we do the same thing, beloved, when we correct the Lord's timing or, or uh, his, his lack of response to some issue in our lives. We, we start talking to him like our buddy, like he's just another fella. Peter's problem is also uh, centered on expectations. Uh, Peter's He's not expecting what Jesus just said. He's expecting miracles to continue by the seashore. He's not expecting nails and a crown of thorns. See, just like Peter, our expectations are usually self-centered and and short-sighted. We see things from a human point of view and not God's. But with that, let me give you some good news. Jesus didn't kick Peter out of class. He, he patiently continued to teach him just as his word continues to teach us. So, beloved, keep on learning. Uh, learn all you can about Jesus. Uh, failing doesn't make you a failure. Just make sure you continually give him his rightful place. Put him back on the throne. Make sure you rank him with the highest ranking possible. Not number two, not number three. No, he is your sovereign Lord, your Messiah. He's your coming king. 
Well, until next time, beloved, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. I hope this time in God's Word encouraged you as we continue this wisdom journey through the Bible. We believe that God's Word has all the wisdom you need for life. That's why Stephen is teaching through the entire Bible. As you listen each day, God will use His Word to change your life, and your journey through life will be a journey of wisdom. Stephen called today's lesson, Who is Jesus to You? Access all of our discipleship resources at wisdomonline.org. Then join us next time on The Wisdom Journey.